And welcome to the audio joke here at MMATorch.com. It's a pleasure to have you. You can follow us on Twitter, AudioChoke at Twitter.com. Also, uh, we have a Facebook and, oh, MMA Torch. You should follow them or become a fan on Facebook. I'm Tobin Shelby. I'm Greg Rowland. And I'm Matt Collins. Welcome back, Tobin. We missed you. I missed you, too. Aww. Yeah, it was a pretty rough week last week. Yeah, I was ourselves. I, I was stuck in a two and a half hour movie and couldn't get away. No, it was fine. Uh, Greg uh, busted out a, a twenty six minute monologue that was absolutely in, enthralling. Really, yeah. I, I I hear it was epic. Yeah. My throat was pretty dry afterwards. I would imagine so. But uh, well, you were guys. in the. Thing. It, was, it, it went well. It sounds like we so. persevered. We made it yeah. through without you. Yeah, without my. Fighting insight and knowledge about all things MMA. You chomp at yeah. the bit, my man. We didn't actually know what we were talking about at all last week because we didn't have you to consult. We were <laughs> right, just right. winging it. All right, so UFC 108, Evans Silva uh, happened. Uh, we all got to see that, of course. And going right to the main event, Rashad Evans defeating Tiago Silva in decision after three rounds. Gentlemen, how do we feel? Um, about that fight, I felt okay. Uh, it was a good <laughs> fight. Uh, personally, I was uh, you know all right with it. I guess it didn't. Uh, I didn't dive into like throes of ecstasy at the quality of the fight, but it, it was good. It was competitive. Um, you know, the thing that struck me is uh, I'm pretty sure Rashad Evans had more takedowns than actual like strikes on the ground. Um, so to see him do that many takedowns was pretty exciting. You're like, wow, he's really working. He's go- go- kind of going back to his re- wrestling roots. But he didn't utilize it uh, once he was able to get Silva down on the ground. But he still won the fight, so it's not like he has to defend himself for not doing anything once he got the takedowns because the takedowns worked and it won him the fight. Uh, it-, it was good, and uh, Silva had the, you know, that flurry towards the end but wasn't able to finish. It was... Uh, not a, overall, the whole fight wasn't like uh, a barn burner, but it, it was punctuated by very exciting uh, moments, I'd say. That's the good, tail end of it. Yeah, yeah, it was, had some good drama leading up to it and uh, worked out well. It was, uh, it was a good fight, I'd say. It was entertaining for sure. I agree with that, and uh, I actually enjoyed the first ten minutes of the fight, too. It, I always love some good slams, and uh, mm. there were a few good ones where uh, Rashad picked him up and dropped him on his back, not just uh, setting him down gently. And, you know, like you said, he, he didn't really accomplish a whole lot, but it's not like he was just laying on him either. It was, you know, he'd take him down and Tiago would pop back up, which, you know, good on him for that. But he still loses because even though he's negating the fact that he gets taken down, he's still on his defense for a solid 10 minutes, basically. He didn't really accomplish much of anything other than not being on his back, which is really, you're not going to win rounds by not being on your back if that's all you do. So he he survived, and he he didn't, you know, get beat up. But he certainly lost the two rounds, and, uh, you know, lost them pretty handily. Thiago Silva, third round, what the hell? Something was actually going to happen there. It actually brought a lot of drama into it. And at, during the third round, I was actually captivated by the fight. Yeah, he uh, he finally managed to stuff the takedowns. Yep. So he was able to force things on his feet, and Rashad, without the threat of the takedown, all of a sudden his striking wasn't looking as good anymore because, uh, you know, it, that was all that Tiago was having to worry about. And uh, Tiago was dancing in front of him. He was trying to egg him on to, to throw some punches, bait him into an exchange, yeah. which he finally did. It took Rashad long enough to finally go for it, but they, they went into the exchange, and Tiago clocked Rashad and damn near knocked him out. And then 
he started dancing some more, which, um, yeah, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say he was tired. Yeah, I think he was pretty well gassed at that point. Because, you know, just looking at it, that was pretty funny where he's like, all right, I've been losing this whole fight until I started dancing, so I'm going to dance some more, and then I clock him, and then, uh, well, that seems to work, so I'm going to going to go dance some more. Um, I mean, it looked like that was what he wanted to do. It looked like he was trying to just win over the judges. But I'm going to speculate that he was just pretty well exhausted and pretty much put everything he had into the the shots that hurt him and wasn't able to finish it and knew it. Yeah, that's really what it seemed like. It was too bad because, it, and you know, the whole fight, it was kind of frustrating because it, it wasn't a boring fight, but after like, like I kind of mentioned, after you see like so many takedowns and nothing happening, you're just kind of like, Okay, guys, try something else. You know, not that it's again, not that it was boring, but you just like you're frustrated for the fighters because neither one of them seems to be doing what it takes to win the fight necessarily. They're going through the motions, right? They're doing things effectively, but you know, for Silva, you're like, come on, you got to do something besides get taken down and then get right up. You got to offer something more. And then so when he finally was able to flurry and get Rashad on uh, uh, rubber legs, as it as it was, um, you know, you're kind of hoping for a, li- a little bit more. But yeah, understandably, it was late in the third round. He had been taken down a bazillion times about. Yeah, and uh, you know, more I, or less, you get you get a little tired every once in a while. I hear in this fighting business, so, and he uh, was just trying to egg Rashad on. That's what kind of led up to it. Some dancing, good flurry of punches, and you have to be able to capitalize on it. You can't just right. keep on egging on your opponent when you've um, gotten a few good shots onto the face. Yeah, and Rashad did a good uh, good job for the most part of avoiding, I mean, because, you know, he, he did get, you know, clocked, obviously, but he did a good job for the most part of avoiding being baited into that situation because despite what the fans want to see sometimes, they're like, ah, oh, punch him in the face. Uh, Rashad was winning the fight. Why would he uh, put that in jeopardy by going into exchange with someone who's, uh, arguably a, a better striker than he is. And that's a good point and good segue to move into the first round knockout of Paul Daly and Dustin Hazlett. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. Uh, I wish Dustin Hazlett would have landed that kick at the beginning of the fight. The somersault <laughs> flip kick. Yeah. yeah, that was pretty awesome. That was uh, some Harold Howard from like early UFC stuff, I believe. You know, I actually saw an old fight of uh, Andre Arlovsky's. Look it up. It's his first loss. It's uh, a fight in Russia. And he's fighting some guy, he just looks like a bum, and these two guys are going at it for a long time, and the guy does this crazy flip kick, and it lands right on Arlovsky's chin. And he ended up uh, ended up losing that fight, but look so it up. The curse is the, the front flip kick is uh, is bad news for some people, and didn't really work out for Dustin Hayden. No, but um, th- this kind of brings me to something, and that's that um, strikers like to perpetuate the myth that it is ballsy to stand up and throw punches and it is cowardly to grapple um and Paul Daly has been doing a good job of that he he called out Carlos Condit before this fight and he said that Dustin Hazlett is you know basically a pussy and you know he, he's talking a lot of smack about this kind of stuff and the way I see it if uh you know if Paul Daly was so ballsy he would have taken Dustin Hazlett and put him on his back Oh yeah, but he he is just really selling selling the fight at that point and uh, doing what he does, which is uh, talking and punching people in the face. So I mean, he, you know, I I do feel sometimes fighters honestly, you know, maybe feel that way. But in this case, I, I kind of get the impression that uh, much like some of his uh, British uh, counterparts, Paul Daly, uh, talks a lot just to get interest in the fight. And you know whether it has any anything to do with how he actually feels might not actually you know might not really be the case. But uh, yeah, I was actually surprised to see Hazlett stand as long as he did with Daly and not 
uh, go for a, a takedown sooner or something like that because Hazlett uh, arguably would have, well, not even arguably, he would have pretty much ran roughshod over Paul Daly on the ground. Yeah. Is this uh, Dustin Hazlett's fault, this loss? I would say so. I mean, granted, it was only halfway into the first round being 224. I mean, it's not like they were standing for, you know, a 15-minute war and then losing. Uh, but, I mean, like, there's no reason why he should have been standing longer than he had to. And in those two minutes and 24 seconds, I don't recall him going for a single takedown. Mm. I mean, if he had gone for the takedown and it had been stuffed, I'd have different feelings about it. But, I mean, he was trying to stand with him. Whether he wanted to maybe stand with him for a round and then take him down the second round, uh, you know, it's only speculation because it didn't go that far. But by the looks of things, he, he wanted to stand, and that was an unwise decision on his part. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like an embarrassing display or anything like that, and I mean, obviously it, it's mixed martial arts. You're supposed to be able to kind of do everything, and he obviously doesn't have nearly as strong as a stand-up game as he does on the ground, and uh, it's good that he's trying to work on that, but against a far superior striker in Paul Daly, it's something you wouldn't really want to mess around with for too much. Um, but yeah, I mean, Paul Daly really, uh, once again, kind of showed... Uh, what he's really good at, and that's uh, punching people in the face. And talking smack. And and talking smack, and uh, I, I think he's going to go far in the UFC with those abilities. Well, this next match went to decision as uh, Sam Stout defeated Joe Lozon. Yeah, I, it, it was a good enough fight. It actually ended up winning the Fight of the Night Award, which kind of surprised me a little bit. Not it, that it was a bad fight, but... It was very one-sided for the most part. Yeah, I mean... J-Lo had uh, those those attacks, mostly in the first round, where he had the, the rolling Camaro, where the two guys rolled over like three times. That was excellent. Yeah. And uh, he, he had the mounted guillotine attempt in the third. But for the most part, he was pretty much getting uh, punched in the face a lot. He, he, got, uh, he got Sam down a couple times, but for the most part, uh, Stout's defense uh, for the takedowns worked really well, and when they were standing up, uh, Joe really didn't have much of an answer. Yeah, I mean, Joe was coming off an injury, so he, you know you got the ring rust to be a little sluggish. But yeah, he just didn't seem to have an answer at all for Sam Stout on the, uh, you know, on the feet, and he was able to get him down a couple times and do some stuff there. But yeah, it was just. It was, again, going back to like the the Evan Silva fight. For me, it was just kind of frustrating to watch. Not that it was necessarily boring, but you're like. Dude, you're getting you're getting hammered like this. You got to you got to do something else besides stand there and cover up and get kicked and punched a bunch, you know. And it was unfortunate, but yeah, I mean, props to Sam Stout for uh, he was stringing together all kinds of good combos and stuff. And you could hear his corner just shouting out things to do, and he'd do it. So it worked out well for him. Um, but yeah, too bad for Joe Lozano. Hopefully, uh, you know, he'll be able to work off whatever you know kind of problems he had from his injury and uh, come back a bit more. Uh, I don't know. He seemed a little, I don't know, sluggish, or there's something just seemed off of him, not to take away from uh, Stout's win or anything. But One thing that I would probably credit that to is I think he burned a lot of energy in that submission attempt in the first round. Yeah. I mean, he got that first takedown in something like 10 seconds, and he, he got that takedown right away, and he was immediately going for stuff, and once he didn't get that submission, it was like his soul was drained out with it, and he, he just didn't seem to have anything after that. But I got to give Joe credit in that he took quite a beating and kept moving forward. I mean, yeah. Sam was landing, but he was also, you know, spent a lot of time walking backwards. Joe was walking into those punches, and uh, that's some balls right there. Yeah, he was coming forward. He wasn't really avoiding the fight, which, you know, whether that's a smart move or not, it's it makes for an inter- interesting fight, and, you know, 
kind of showed that he wasn't necessarily afraid to take some punishment. Um, Sam and his cornermen were really working the, together really yeah. well. It, was that a good key to the victory? Did, can that make a difference in a match when someone is paying such close attention to their corner? Um, you know, I've got kind of mixed feelings on it. Uh, it's been my own grappling experience that, uh, you know, and, and I don't have any, like, com- uh, competitive experience, but just in, in the training room, y- your teacher starts yelling at you for stuff to do, and it can almost be confusing at times. Like, what? Put my foot over here? What? This foot? This foot? You know, um, so having a guy yelling stuff at you in a situation where uh, things are more active, I think, would be distracting uh, personally. But in the situation that they were in where Joe Lozon was kind of turning into a punching bag towards the end of the fight, it's like, all right, yeah, I can land this three-punch combo that you just shouted out. Because uh, I, I think at that point he wasn't really so much threatened. But for the most part, it's better, I think, for cornerman to give pretty simple instructions during the actual fight. Right, yeah, no, it did work out very well in this specific instance, but I think it really depends on the fight and, you know, even, like, the atmosphere, the, you know, the crowd noise, all kinds of stuff. But, yeah, in this case, it it worked, and, again, that kind of, as Greg mentioned, Joe Lozon basically uh, was functioning more or less as a a training dummy at at some points where, you know, taking a second to listen to what your corner is saying and string together a combo they might not normally string together in a more uh, active fight, uh, it, it really worked out for him, so... Well, the first round submission victory for Jim Miller over D- Dwayne Ludwig. Man, how are we doing on that one? <laughs> yeah. To me, this is a lot like the uh, Frank Mir fight against Chet Congo we saw not too long ago. In the fact that I'm not surprised to see Jim Miller get a submission over Dwayne Ludwig, but I was really surprised to see him knock him, at, knock him down on the way to getting that. Um, both times, this was more or less uh, a one-dimensional striker fighting a more well-rounded guy with a leaning towards grappling. And uh, both times the uh, the grappler knocked down the striker on the way to the submission. Yeah, and he was stringing together. I mean, it wasn't just like one magic hit. He was stringing together some good stand-up there and uh, very impressive. Uh, you know, you could tell the announcers were pretty well surprised from what he was offering. And yeah, me and my friends watching were kind of pretty well impressed. So uh, good things for Jim Miller. I think that'll help him out in the long run being able to... I mean, because... Yeah, as exciting as grappling can be, as was you know shown on this card with all the kinds of crazy submissions that were attempted and, and pulled off, you know a lot of the fans are still big fans of uh, you know punches and kicks and uh, awesome knockouts, and uh, so being able to have both of those, I think, will really serve Jim Miller well if he can uh, keep working on it. You're inside the audio choke. Follow us at Twitter and Facebook, and once you become a fan of MMA Torch at Facebook. Junior Dos Santos over Gilbert Ivel via technical knockout in 207 of the first round. Ouch. This is the opener for the uh, main card of the pay-per-view. Those of us who tuned into Spike saw a few fights before it, but uh, for the pay-per-view, this is the first one. I personally breathed out a large sigh of relief after this. I was really hoping that Gilbert Ivel was going to lose this one, which he did. It was exciting. It was a, a great way to start a pay-per-view with two strikers, one that's known more for his kicks and one that's known more for his punches, and it looks like the punches were faster. Yeah, I mean, I, I was actually really surprised to see this be the opening uh, fight on the card, but it, it worked well in that it provided uh, proper amounts of fireworks and uh, copious amounts of punches to the face uh, on both you know fighters' ends. And, uh, yeah, no, it was... Uh, Really good display of uh, what 
Dos Santos has to offer, and I think it's going to move him up quite a bit in that heavyweight um, ladder, or the and not, not necessarily even the rankings, but just kind of like profile-wise, and you know what that means for what kind of quality fights we'll get later on down the road. But um, no, it was a it was a good fight, and you know as soon as the, that first exchange, I'm like, this isn't getting out of the first round, is it? And it, it did not, it did not disappoint. Uh, you know, there was a bit made about the the stoppage, which. You know, I think there you know could could stake some claim to that, but it's not like, and it's almost two separate issues sometimes where it's like, I, I don't believe Ivel was going to come back and win the fight, but at the same time, you know, you got to give him that extra couple seconds where he was still seemed to be rather lucid and was aware of what was going on, even though he was close to being finished. Um, I realize I said like about eighty times mm-hmm. over that past minute or two, so I apologize for that, but my point still stands. We forgive you, and that's an excellent point that you have. You mentioned uh, Junior Dos Santos going up the ratings a little bit, and um, it's not that Ival was a ranked opponent, right? but I think it's just the fact that he got beat standing up, and he got beat pretty handily. I mean, he landed some shots, but he, he cleanly got knocked out early in the fight by a guy and it wasn't like a sneak attack it wasn't a grappler throwing the big punch that wasn't expected it was a guy who's known for going out there and knocking dudes down knocking dudes out and uh you know he went out there and he knocked out a a top kickboxer so i mean i think that this puts uh junior dos santos possibly in the top 10 at heavyweight um i'd really like to see him against a grappler though we saw him against fabricio verdum but that fight never hit the ground, so uh, we, we don't really know how that went. He trains with the Black House with the Nogueras and all that stuff, so they're known for jujitsu. Um, it'd be interesting to see how good his is personally, though, or if he's got any takedown defense, because he's got four fights in the UFC now, and none of them have gone anywhere near going to the ground. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, uh, you kind of hear the same arguments uh, with other heavyweights, you know, uh, Shane Carwin kind of comes to mind when it's like they haven't been te- tested enough. Even they've won their fights and they've done it done so impressive, impressively. But at the same time, you're like, well, can this guy go the distance or can he can he do it on the ground? We just haven't seen it to have it, you know, uh, be proven. But one would think with the way he, who he's training with, uh, Dos Santos can handle himself on the ground. But it'd be interesting to see just kind of uh, have him tested and kind of reaffirm in uh, the fans' minds what what he is capable of or that sort of thing. But you know, when I was talking, kind of I guess moving up in the rankings, yeah, I. I I guess I kind of almost meant more in like the fans' eyes, whereas it goes back to like the uh, impressive knockouts and you know it was the lead off on the pay per view and all, all of that. And so I, Ivel might not have been like a, a good ranked op- opponent, just like in the fans' perspective, uh, when you see someone perform like that uh, in a in a brawl, basically a, a technical brawl, but a brawl nevertheless. Uh, I think you kind of it, it ups his, uh, I guess status in the fans' uh, eyes. I yeah, say. I think we'll be hearing his name in uh, future UFC commercials. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he starts getting thrown in the mix for the title shot. Yeah, a couple uh, more fights that uh, wouldn't surprise me at all. Well, they got kind of a, a little mini tournament going on, potentially, um, with uh, Lesnar being out of the action. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets thrown in there, maybe with a guy like Cain Velasquez down the line. Um, you know, we got... Mirror and Carwin going at it, and uh, I could see him definitely being in the mix. Yeah, well, especially if uh, Velasquez ends up beating. Um, no, I just totally spaced out. Noguera. Um, then you'd have a kind of built-in storyline with like the 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 master student thing. Yeah, it's like I have to avenge my master's loss and all that. It'd be great. 
So, uh, guys, feel free to pick through the preliminary card, whatever you guys want to talk about. It's a little free form, whatever uh, gives a little fire in your belly. I was impressed by Mark Munoz against Ryan Jensen, um, mostly because I I really remember Mark Munoz from getting his head kicked off by Matt Hamill. And, uh, you know, he was kind of a punching bag there, but and, and he got brutally knocked out. It was uh, one of the, the worst knockouts I've seen. But uh, he he went down a weight class. He's at 185 now, and he destroyed that guy Jensen. And um, yeah, he was just landing bombs when he had his back. And the guy was trying to tap out. He tried on three different occasions to tap out before the referee finally saw it. Yeah, um, that's rough. Yeah, so that guy's got some serious power in his hands when he's on the ground. Yeah, I was just looking at the results, and it said uh, Munoz uh, via, uh, via submission. I was like, was it a submission? It wasn't a wasn't a tap? I mean, it, it was. It was a submission via strikes. It was uh, pretty awesome. I feel I feel bad for Jensen, because, yeah, he tried to tap out multiple times and just couldn't get a... He couldn't uncover and tap out quack, quick enough, and unfortunate, because it wasn't brutal. He was covering up, and he wasn't taking direct shots to, like, the eyeball or anything like that, so I don't think there was any sort of, like... Serious long-term damage, but it, it, it sucks for him. He took a bunch of punches. When you're tapping, you yeah. need to tap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come on, man. <laughs> Look, get me out of here. You're yeah. not tapping because it's not so bad, but yeah, it kind of yeah. sucks. You're tapping yeah. because you know you really want out of there. Right. Well, I guess I'm saying it just didn't seem as worse as like uh, when a guy gets knocked out and then a guy uh, his opponent lands like four or five more punches on him before the ref steps in. He he was still awake and conscious, and even though he wanted to be out of the fight, he was still he wasn't taking super severe. Uh, I mean, yeah, I understand your point. Deadly yeah. punches to the face. Yeah. yeah. Another one I'd like to throw out there is Cole Miller over D'Lo, uh, Dan Lozon. Um, that was a pretty interesting fight. Lozon dropped Cole with a, a big punch and almost put him away. Yeah. But then the fight ended up back on their feet, and uh, they kind of rolled around on the ground for a little bit, and Cole Miller got a reverse triangle with a Kimura at the same time, which is quite a combination and scored himself uh, submission of the night on that one. Yeah, he's putting his uh, application in early for like submission of the year or something like that. It was only a, been a few days, but that was that was quite impressive. And I'm trying, I can't remember who Cole Miller fought last, but it was kind of the, uh, I believe he lost it. But it was the same thing where he got, you know, he's great on the ground, but he's still got to work a bit on his stand up, and it was, you know, kind of deficient there. Uh, not horrible, but just you know, he's fighting a, a someone better at the stand up game or quite a bit better. He does not do great. Luckily, he was able to pull it out and pull off a quite excellent submission. I was I was very impressed. And I believe, you know, I, did, I, was, I didn't watch the, the spike fights, but, uh, I mean, looks like I only really missed... Well, I, I believe nine out of the ten fights made the pay-per-view card, right? Yeah, and uh, by missing the spike fights, you actually didn't miss anything because yeah. they ended up showing all four fights that they showed on spike on the pay-per-view just because enough fights uh, ended and ended in pretty quick fashion, I I read on uh, UFC's Twitter page that they had uh, they had three fights that went to the decision, yep. and the remainder fights added up to a total of 22 minutes. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty insane. I mean, good pacing on this card. Yeah, it, it, it worked out well, and there was a lot of talk before about you know, it being like the cursed injury-plagued card, and, you know, there's a lot of injuries on the card, and people were concerned about, you know, whether that would mean it would be, 
a good good fight card or not or whatever but uh yeah it, it really worked out it didn't have the name value of a lot of the previous ufc cards but that never really nece- necessarily means you know names don't necessarily mean quality yeah and names, a perfect example yeah names mean pay-per-view buys but they don't mean good fights and i mean it's still very highly rated as well the ratings were good for this last pay-per-view yeah yeah oh well good because i mean it, it was a good show it, it wasn't like you know they put on boring fights but it's you get guys like Chuck Liddell, um, and people will buy it. They, they will, but he may not be the most exciting fight. Uh, it, it's just the, the way it is. Sometimes the guy who's the champion can be extremely boring. Tim Sylvia is an example of that. Um, and, I mean, even George St. Pierre, who I'm a big fan of, is not the most exciting guy sometimes anymore. He, he kind of goes with more of a bully style than he used to. But, um, you know, it's just like people will buy because of the names, but... Um, that doesn't necessarily have any indication on whether it's going to be fun to watch. And I thought it was going to be a, an extremely fun card to watch, just uh, given the fighters, even though they weren't particularly popular. Yeah, um, inter- interesting to see how this pans out, because I know yeah, Penn versus Sanchez did did well. It sounds like pay-per-view bias. So it'll be interesting to see how this, this compares, because, um, like you mentioned, kind of just the mainstream appeal of some of the names. And luckily, I mean, you know, Penn, BJ Penn's one of those fighters that actually has both the mainstream appeal and also, you know, very technically savvy and uh, appeals a lot to the hardcore fans. Um, Promote me or get out of my way. Uh oh. Ooh. <laughs> Man. Do we even want to touch that? <laughs> no, it's fine. We can yeah. move on to this. Happy New Year <laughs> from the audio choke here at MMATorch.com. Uh, we're on Twitter, at Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Facebook, audio choke. Google it. We're around. So K1 Dynamite! Power of Courage 2009, New Year's Eve. It was quite the slobber knocker. New Year's Eve is traditionally the biggest day of the year for mixed martial arts in Japan. Um, Pride always had large events there. K1 always had large events there. And it looks like this was a K1 slash dream event. And um, it was a pretty big one. I didn't actually witness the card itself, but you can look it up on YouTube. There's all kinds of fights on there. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially we, some brutality. Ooh, ooh yeah. Um, Gayhard Musasi took on Gary Goodridge, and uh, that was that was pretty painful to watch for a while. There, he was just raining down punches, and uh, Goodridge was on his back, basically just taking it. And uh, he, he eventually pops up uh, after the fight has stopped. He's like, "What? What? You fight? You stop the fight? What?" But, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he wasn't showing any sign that he was going to get out of it. Um, also, we saw Alistair Overeem fight uh, Kazuhi Fujita. Big old knee, knocked him in, uh, into the ropes. Ooh. Yeah, he, he didn't quite pull a uh, Quentin Jackson where he was <laughs> hanging half of his body out of the rope. But, uh, yeah, it looked pretty painful. And uh, my personal favorite was Shinya Aoki versus uh, Hirota, which is... Uh, I guess had uh, a little bit of drama going on. It was a a dream versus Sengoku matchup, which is organization against organization in Japan. That's the uh, you know the WWF versus WCW right there. <laughs> Hulk Hogan versus the Macho Man of uh, Japanese MMA. But um, Shinya Aoki put in a uh, a hammerlock early on as kind of a Kimura, but I mean not even really, and uh, kept cranking it and cranking it and. Uh, Hirota was trying to rep his org and uh, did not tap out. Yeah, he didn't tap out, and he got his arms 
snapped. And uh, Shinya Eiko, he kind of did a uh, kind of a Brock Lesnar-esque move afterwards, where he gave him the finger, gave all the fans the finger. It was a uh, it was a pretty weird moment, especially considering Japanese MMA, where they're always very respectful and quiet during the fights. And uh, I, I, I did not expect to see that at all. Yeah, I was kind of surprised. I mean, Aoki's kind of known for some of his antics, but it's not usually like him being overly aggressive or, or mean. He's just kind of more of a uh, he's a dramatic. He, he, he's got he, those pants, man. Well, yeah, he, yeah. he's just kind of like a you know attracts a lot of drama, and, you know, all kinds of that. But that's the first time I've ever heard of him doing something that far out there. And, you know, it, it, the arm breaking that that happens, and uh, you know, the guy didn't tap. Oh yeah, he didn't tap. Yeah, there, there's no reason to, uh, to to say anything bad about him for breaking the arm because in his position. I'd have broken his arm. That's what you do when a guy doesn't tap. I mean, it's a fight. Uh, if a guy doesn't tap, he's saying, you won't break my arm. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay. But some bad sportsmanship a from bit. a culture that's usually known for very good sportsmanship. Yeah, that was what really surprised me about the deal. Yes, us Americans are supposed to be the rude ones. Yes. <laughs> Get your corn dog. <laughs> Whatever that was, it was very American. <laughs> but yeah, it's it kind of interesting because a few names on the card that uh, I'm sure lots of fans would kind of like to see fight over in the States more often. Of course, uh, Masasi is the Strike Force light heavyweight champ, yes. I believe. And, um, you know, he, he's, you know, they got the, the talent sharing deal going on there, so he, he jumps back and forth. But yeah, Aoki, I- uh, you know, a lot of hardcore fans would like to see him over fight some. Uh, some of his contemporaries, and then we also had um, oof, Overeem, yes. who is the uh, I don't know if anyone knows this at this point. He's Strike Force's heavyweight champ. Yeah, he he won the Strike Force heavyweight champion in his only fight in Strike Force back in two thousand seven. Hasn't fought since in in Strike Force, or actually I don't even know if he's fought in the states since then. But he's not fought for Strike Force, and they're trying to set up about with uh, Emelianenko. So we'll see how that goes. But it's just kind of one of those. Things you're like, come on, man, get it. Yeah, uh, I I feel he should have been stripped by now, just because. I mean, you, you go a year, let's say, without a title defense. I think yeah. that's long enough. Let alone, it's been over two years now, and there's no fights on the horizon, and th- there's nothing signed. And it's not that he can't fight because he fought three days ago. So I mean, there's no real excuse. Uh, he's just, I mean, he he's, he'd rather fight in Japan. Yeah, uh, bigger money, uh, one thing, um, but you know, there's always the, uh, you know, all kinds of conspiracy theories out there, that's why I won't, but yeah, it's been floated, that, again, nothing official, but you know, I saw an interview up online where he's talking about, like, oh yeah, maybe later in the summer or something, he'd, he'd come back and stri- fight in Strike Force and fight Fedor, which would be great, and uh, I'm sure everyone would love to see Fedor win, so that they'd have a steady champion who would fight for the organization more than once every two years. You're inside the audio choke. Next time you hear our charming voices, we'll be talking about UFC Fight Night 20, our wrap-up of that, Maynard versus Diaz. Of course, Nate Diaz and uh, Gray Maynard. Any yeah. thoughts? Um, Hopes? Ap- aspirations? Hope it's a good card. Yeah, no, it, it looks good. I mean, the Fight Nights, again, it kind of goes back to the whole name value thing. Not uh, I guess Diaz and Maynard are at that point where... Uh, Again, they're not blockbuster uh, sellers, but people recognize their names and uh, never, again, indicative of the quality of the fights. It looks like a pretty good card, at least the main card. And, 
it'd be interesting to see. It's it's I, I it's kind of hard to say because there's a lot of familiar names on here, and you know what they can bring to the table. Uh, even for me, I follow this quite a bit. There's a few names on here. I'm like, I don't I don't know who that is. I look forward to seeing what they have to bring to the table and what they can pull out. And the fight night cards in general, I just kind of go in with almost a, a blank slate type mode and don't know what to expect and, uh, you know, go from there. Well, the prelim card got a little motion out of you guys with Chris Levin headlining the preliminary card. Yeah, he's not even on the uh, the main TV card, which is kind of surprising. For yeah, me I mean, it's not so much that he's on a fight night or that he is uh, not on the main card, but the fact that he didn't make the main card on a fight night. And the fight nights are notoriously not the big guys because, I mean, this is a free card. We don't have to pay for this one. This is going to be on Spike TV on Monday. But, I mean, he, he's a he's a big enough name at this point. It's not so much that he's the best fighter, but he he's a big enough name. And, I mean, being the best fighter is not always necessarily what's going to get you your spot anyway. Uh, the next UFC event is going to be having Mark Coleman in the main event. So he's a legend. He he's a legend, but he uh, you know he fought Stefan Bonner in his last fight also, yeah. and he squeaked that one out. Um, but anyway, I mean this looks like a fun card, and it it, it it's never going to have the name value because uh, because it is the fight night. But Gray Maynard is one of those guys who's probably about in line for a title shot. He uh, he's undefeated and. Um, the only uh, really kind of loss he has, I believe, was to Nate Diaz on the Ultimate Fighter Five. So I think he's avenging this, this one, if I remember correctly. Interesting. So they got a little storyline going on with that. But other than that, the uh, the closest he has to a loss is his no contest with Rob Emerson, where uh, he picked Rob up over his head and slammed him down to the mat, which uh, like cracked a rib or something for Emerson who tapped out, but at the same time, he slammed his own head into the ground and got knocked out, too. So it was, uh, it was the, the knockout, tap out, and he, he contested it, but they ended up ruling it a no contest. That's awesome. Yeah, it, it was pretty funny for uh, for those who were watching. It, it was uh, the, the WWF DDT, basically. <laughs> um, yeah, double finish. Also, uh, we have two... Actually, if you count Nate Diaz, three Ultimate Fighter winners on this card with uh, Nate Diaz, Efran Esquerdo, and Amir Sadala all fighting on the main card. And um, another guy I'm looking forward to seeing is Tom Lawler. Uh, entertaining guy. Came out to uh, Who Let the Dogs Out. Came out to Pink. Uh, and, you know, he, he's a good fighter, too. He choked C.B. Dalloway unconscious, which always makes people happy because nobody likes C.B. Dalloway. People don't. He's a. Uh... You know, I heard that actually uh, when CB Dalloway was fighting Amir Sadala in the rematch, CB's own mom was cheering for Amir. Ouch. Well, thanks for hanging out on the audio choke. We'll see you guys next week. Um, leave a comment. Go to the forum, fanmmatorch.com at Facebook. And until next time. I'm Greg Rowan. I'm Tobin Shelby. And I'm Matt Collins. You lost your phone, didn't you? We're just doing a mixed martial arts podcast. Somebody Mm -hmm. on my radio station? Yeah. (laughs) Did you not know we hijack your station every time you go home? Apparently.
Yeah. <laughs> we just pirate radio this whole building. I was Lame. looking at it, and I was like, you know what? Someone's going to be back here to interrupt this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm so glad that you did, and you're not interrupting at all. You should come and say hi. Are come you on. Are going to edit this out? No, no. We're leaving this. It'll be an Easter egg. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, nerds. That's a girl. <laughs> what are we doing with one of those? I love nerds. <laughs> nerds are awesome. Aren't they? Were we just talking about that, Tobin? They love you, awesome. too. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Cool. All right. I can't Bye. wait to hear it. Bye. Bye, Amber. <laughs> Back to our regularly scheduled program. Yeah. So, 